Well, it's great to be together, and we're looking at this book called Romans, and there's this tagline we've been using, what the world needs to hear. But let's be really clear, let's be very specific on who the world is. The world is all people. It's all Christians, it's all Hindus, it's all Muslims, it's all Jews, it's all people of any faith, it's all people of no faith. All people need to hear what God has to say in the book of Romans. And last week, we looked at the biggest problem facing people. This morning, we're going to look at God's solution. Now, let me be really clear. As we look at God's solution, you will not find a clearer statement nor deeper analysis to the problem and then the solution that God has for us. If you have your Bible this morning or a device with the Scriptures on it, let's open up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're in verse 21. If you're online, I want to encourage you to do the same and participate with us. It's so important that you do, and we're glad that you're here. Now, if you're online or here in person, let's stand if you're able to stand because we want to honor what God has delivered. In other words, if God did not give us what He's given us today, There's no way the world would know with such penetrating analysis what God sees and knows that we need. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, But now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then, then, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Father, we believe. (laughs) We believe 
in these words. We need this morning, by the power of your Spirit, to bring a clear view of the impact that they should have on our lives. Father, we ask that your Spirit would touch everyone here, regardless of where they are, what their journey is, what their situation is, God, that your Spirit would speak to them right where they are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat as we look at this. We're in a deep part of the book of Romans. And last week, of course, we looked at the serious problem facing humanity. I am not exaggerating when I say what we talked about last week is the greatest problem facing every human being. To be clear, let's restate very simply the problem. That is that all have sinned. All have rebelled against God. All have turned to our own way, right? There is just this self-idolatrous worship that has taken place. And God just wants all of us to know that His wrath is being poured out on all unrighteousness. No one escapes the wrath that is being poured out unless they have turned to Jesus Christ. That is the challenge that we looked at last week. So if we pull together what we've looked at in Romans so far, from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, where we ended last week, verse 20, we see that the problem of humanity is carefully laid out for all people so that no one is without excuse. No one has an excuse today. That's why Paul begins in verse 21 with, but now. Now he wants to lay out the solution. And the first part of what we begin to see is my first point, and that's this, that God's righteousness is revealed in the cross. Now, sometimes we hear words, we hear religious words, we hear these phrases, and we do not take time to think through exactly what they mean, the weight of what they are for our lives. So we read in this passage God's righteousness. In fact, we saw it five to- or four times, right? We saw it in verse 21, the righteousness of God. We see it again in verse 22, the righteousness of God. We see it again in verse 25, God's righteousness. And we see it again in verse 26, His righteousness. So over and over, we're understanding that God wants to address this issue that He is righteous. He is perfectly good. There is no moral flaw in our God. He can never do anything mean-spirited. He can never do anything harsh. In His character is only good. Only forever good. But now linked to that is this idea of justification. We saw that word used five times. This is so profound that we're linking together the righteousness of God and the possibility that a human being 
could be justified. We see the word justified in verse 24. We see it in verse 26, the just and the justifier. We see it in verse 28, the justified. And we see it again in verse 30, justify. Over and over, we're bringing this out. So no one misses what we're talking about is that when we say that all of us have moral failure, all of us have sinned, all of us by nature are rebels and we rebel constantly against God, what that means is that we are condemned. We are lost in our guilt. We deserve the wrath of God. And so what is happening now is God is bringing us in to the deepest truths in this universe. He wants everyone to know clearly the solution to the guilt, the condemnation that we carry, all of us, without excuse. So, let's take the first word, justification. The Apostle Paul says it this way, that we are declared right with God. That's what justification is. That there's the possibility that a human being can be right with God freely by His grace grounded in the cross of Jesus Christ. So I just want to take a moment and make sure that you understand that when I wrote that statement, I was trying to pull together, capture the essence of the impact of these verses on this word justification. First, the idea is that it's possible that even though we have rebelled against God, that we have all sinned, we have all gone our own way, that we can be right with God. Now, when God did this, we need to understand, first of all, that it is freely done by him. He was not coerced to do this. He did not have to do it. There wasn't some manipulation. There wasn't anything outside of himself that moved him to make it possible that women and men could be right with God. He freely did this. It had no condition on you or me. He did not look down the corridor of time and say, oh, I see John here and he's going to turn to Jesus someday. I'm going to make him right with God. I'm going to find a way. Nope, God freely did this. Second, you see the idea of grace. Freely by His grace. You and I, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you have been made right with God by His grace. Now sometimes we say it this way, and I think it sends the wrong message that we are justified by faith. Now it is true that faith is the means by which we receive it, but faith is not the basis. We are justified by His grace. What does that mean? It means it's a gift. It means that you and I do not deserve it. It means that God has endowed, has laid down this precious gift for us, this undeserved favor. So let's get a picture. There's this holy, righteous God in heaven, and He looks down and He sees rebels. 
and he condescends. He stoops down to make a way for us to be right with God. That is all on his initiative. That's what I mean by his grace. Now, as we look at the last phrase, it's all grounded in the cross of Jesus Christ. Without the cross, we could not be right with, uh, with God. There is no way to be right with the only true and living God except through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. This is all fine and dandy. I've heard this. It resonates with me. What difference does this make? First of all, I want to make sure that we all understand, and by the end of the message, I want to bring us to a place of why these truths are so important for us in our daily life. So hold that as we think about what the world needs to hear, including us, as we think about these different things. But now, as we look at this, right, this word justification, that we can be right with God, it's all freely anchored in God by His grace through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's grounded in the blood work of Jesus. There was no other way. There's no second plan. There's no plan B. It is only in Jesus Christ and His cross. Well, as soon as we start asking the question, why the cross? Why Jesus that's where Paul begins to go deeper into his analysis of why the cross becomes so important. So let's first look at it in a general kind of way so that we can all grab hold of it. Then I want to show you in the Scriptures why the cross in the analysis that goes so deep into the human problem becomes so clear in the Scriptures. So first of all, to redeem us. As we read the passage, and we're going to go in a moment, we're going to go back into it so you can see, is that God wanted to redeem us out of this rebellion. It's a marketing term. Justification is actually a legal term that we could be declared right with God. But this is a marketing term. What God is doing is buying us out of the bondage of sin. He's purchasing us at a price so that we could be out of the control, out of the power of sin. And over the next few weeks in the spring, when we go back into Romans, we're going to see how to live in freedom from sin as we fight and resist it in the present world. And eventually, of course, all sin will be eradicated. So God wants to redeem us. Secondly, we're going to see that God wanted to satisfy His holy wrath. If the real problem is not war, it's not lust, it's not power, it's not global environmental issues, but the deepest, most profound problem every woman, every man, every student faces is the wrath of God. Somehow, that wrath has to be satisfied. Thirdly, we look at to show God's righteousness. So the cross redeems us, it satisfies the wrath of God, and it shows God's 
righteousness. So, let's go back into the text. Let's take a moment to make sure we understand uh, what's going on here in, in the passage. So the first is the word redeem, right? I want to make sure that we all see the word redemption down here, right? We see that we all have sinned. We all fall short. We're justified by His grace, as we've talked about. And then he says, how? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So here's our first word, redeem, redemption. So as we look at that, we need to see what redemption is going for. As we look at this, we see that we are bought out of our sin and our guilt by Jesus' blood as the ransom price. So, you and I, it's terrible. We have all this guilt and we stand condemned. You can say it wasn't me. You can say she made me do it. He made me do it. None of it's going to wash with God. We all stand condemned. As I said last time, there's a great white throne judgment. Every person will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as the judge and give an account for his or her life. No one is going to be outside of that great white judgment. So, think about all people for all time, not only the ones that were alive in the past, not only the ones alive today, but even the ones that are going to be born in the future. Every human being will stand before Jesus Christ, the judge, and give an account for our lives, for attitudes that we've carried, for words that were recklessly shared, for anger that's been out of control, for bitterness, for all these things that all of us have in a closet that we try to keep locked, right? All of it's going to come out. All of it's going to be discussed. All of it's going to be laid before God. And so this idea of redemption is that Jesus Christ, He bought us out of that sin and guilt. Wow! Think about the power of that for daily life. All by Jesus' blood. Well, the second word, propitiation, comes in. But before we go there, let me, again, I want to anchor it in the text. We see this. Again, whom God, remember verse 24 ended talking about Jesus Christ. We're still talking about Jesus Christ. Who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Now you can read all kinds of books about this. You can study this. And it's awesome to study it. But what propitiation is trying to get at in the Scriptures is this. Is that God, His love satisfied His holy wrath. If the greatest problem in the history of the world is that God's wrath is being poured out against all unrighteousness, it's this propitiation, this satisfaction of His wrath that comes through the gift of Jesus Christ who took our sin and He stood condemned, dying in our place. Are you getting the picture? You're at the great white throne judgment. You're ready to give an account. And Jesus Christ steps in 
And he says, I stood, Father, condemned for this person. What an amazing picture. What an amazing place where God brings us to this. God satisfies His wrath. There was no way to do it except through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the last one, and that is this idea of showing His righteousness. So we see it again. We pull in here. We saw the word propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This the propitiation was to show God's righteousness. God was jealous for His character. He was serious about defending that He is a holy, righteous God. And so He wanted to show Jesus Christ taking care of satisfying His righteousness in all of this so as we look at this we then can take this last word showing God's righteousness the cross upholds the justice of God becomes so so significant right God could not sweep your stuff and my stuff and the stuff of the world under the rug he was going to deal with it once and for all but the amazing thing is, is that God gives us opportunity to turn to Him. And there is incredible mystery in all of this. How does this work? I could not even begin to explain, but what I do know is this, is God extends an invitation to people. God extends this invitation for people to come to Him. He doesn't force it. He doesn't demand it. What He makes clear is that Jesus Christ died as a substitution for us. What we deserved, the condemnation Jesus took on on the cross. That's why we hear those words, my Father, why, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned against me? It's because he took your condemnation, your guilt on himself. Amazing, amazing picture. The world constantly tries to capture this. Right? We see it in movies now and then. Remember the movie Lion King? Isn't that exactly what happens? We have Mufasa and we got Scar and we got this conflict going on and, and we see the stampede and Mufasa steps in and saves his son Simba. Sweeps him away and then he of course gets trampled on in the stampede. A picture of substitutionary atonement. We see it in other stories, right? Over and over where we find these stories of God, uh, of trying to capture it. One that came out a couple years ago uh, was actually in Colorado. Dwayne and Donna Johnson, they decided they were going to take their family hiking up into the mountains. They went to Agnes Valley Falls. And as they're hiking up the falls, as they're hiking up the mountains, there's this huge rock fall that starts coming. And the father is, is using his body to shield his daughter, Gracie. And finally, as it, the mud and the stones and the boulders continue to fall, he takes his daughter and shoves her under a huge stone only to lose 
his own life. Here's what his daughter said. Gracie said, I did cover myself, but I was just standing in the open. My dad pushed me to a rock that was bigger than I was, and he just saved me. We see pictures like this, don't we? We get an idea of what God did for us. The sheriff deputy, Nick Tolsma, added this, Gracie said her dad jumped on top of her to protect her right at the last moment as the rocks were coming down. And that's what God did for us. He took Jesus Christ and he said, he is going to be your shield. He will step in in your place. Let's be really clear. There's a lot of other solutions in this world. This world offers lots of solutions. You can go through the different faiths why I mention Hindu and Muslim, talk about the Jews. Almost all of these are built on religion that requires you to work. It's Christianity in the person of Christ that it's all about grace. It's a gift that you can receive. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You receive it by faith. Today, the world, I would say it this way, and I think it's a fair statement, at best... Because of the fallenness due to sin, because of all the conflict, because of all the brokenness in families, in marriages, among children, because of all the fear, all the anxiety of the last two years, we could just go back over and over, we could look at the wars, we could look at all the conflict. All the world has at its best, and I know I'm simplifying is pain management. What God wants to do is deal with the real issues and then set us up to spend eternity in the perfect world. So as we think about these things, we need to recognize that God did it all. It's amazing. Well, we need to press on a little further into the last part of the passage, right? My second point is this, and that is that God's righteousness removes all boasting. If you followed what I have said, what you're moving along with what I'm arguing based on Romans chapter 3, 21, all the way to verse uh, 26, is that it's all God. God is the justifier of, He's the one that makes us just. It's not us. It's not because we're anything special. It's not even because we may be women or men of faith. It's all by grace. It removes all boasting. So let's just take a moment and read again what Paul says so that we can understand what is going on in these last couple verses. Paul goes on and says, Then then what becomes of our boasting? Well, he makes it really clear. It's excluded. By what kind of law? A law of works? No, there's no way you're going to earn this justification. This declaration that you're right with God. But it's by this law of faith. And faith itself is a gift from God. That's what's so amazing. And then he goes on, he says, for we hold that one is justified by faith, right? He says, apart from 
works of the law. In other words, there is no way that the law is going to do it. He's speaking now specifically, remember the church at Rome had both Jewish believers, Jewish converts, and then Gentile converts. And that's pretty much how they broke up the world. He's saying there's no way that being a Jew was going to get you in, that it was through Jesus Christ. Or is he the God of God, uh, God of Jews only? Obviously not. Is he not the God of Gentiles? Yes, he is. He's the God over everybody, whether people acknowledge it or not. And that's where the great issues of faith comes in. He says, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And then he goes on, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On on the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, I'm not going to develop all of that right now this morning, but what I'd like to do is make really clear is that what he's saying here is that the Old Testament and the New Testament need to be held together. That's why he talked about earlier about the law and the prophets in verse 21. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, the great prophet Moses writing about the creation of the world in the beginning, God created, and you just take all the prophets, all the poetry, everything written, it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. And that's where he's taking us. Now, let's close up with just a couple things. Why does all this matter to you and me today? Why is it significant for how we live? Why we gather as believers? Why we keep calling people to believe? Why we keep calling people to gather in the name of Jesus Christ? First of all, it's the foundation of your life. Over and over, we need to be reminded that the bedrock truths of our faith are not dependent on us. Are you tracking with me? So many people think that their lives are dependent on whether they make good choices or bad choices, whether it is God working or not working. It's promises of God that he is working and we can bank on it. It is bedrock truth. So when we look at what's happened the last couple of years. We know, just as an example, you can go through your whole life, but just the last couple of years, it has elevated the amount of fear in people's hearts. It has increased anxiety. Stress levels are at all-time levels. People are using more medications, using more drink, more things to try to manage these pains. Now, I don't want to discount that there's a place for medication. Please hear me. These are serious times. There's a place for therapies. There's a place. They help us. God uses them. But what I'm trying to bring us to a place of is a bedrock truth that Jesus Christ died for you and that you are no longer condemned when we get to romans a little further on we're going to see that there's absolutely no condemnation for those in christ jesus this is something you can build your life on so when the storms of life come let's use another metaphor 
He is the anchor. He's the one that holds us stable. I remember when I was a kid and I'd go sailing with my dad. He had a sailboat. And I, I remember one time he let me take the family out with me. I'm going to be the captain. Like, whoa, dad, are you thinking straight today? So we, we, we go out in the sailboat. And all of a sudden, a huge storm started coming. Waves are getting bigger. The wind's blowing. And I'm like, we got to get to shore. We got to get an anchor. I remember anchoring that boat and bringing down the sails and, and just riding out the storm. What Jesus Christ wants us to know is that whatever storm you're in, He's your anchor. And this life is temporary. Let me state my own life as I've looked at it. When I was younger, I would say life can be hell. When I got a little older, I said it maybe a little stronger because I'd seen a little more problem. I'd experienced more difficulties. I'd say, boy, this life can really be hellish. As I get a little older and I've watched life, I think I can make this statement, life is hell. A lot of hard things are going on in our body. And what Jesus Christ wants you to know is that He bought you, He satisfied the wrath of God, and He made you right with God because He's got a plan that transcends this world. Hold on for the ride. But let me give you a second reason why I think these truths are so important that we grab hold of them and that we understand them. And here's the way I want to say it. It gives you boldness and energy for life. Boldness and energy for life. Ephesians 1.19, it says this, Paul says, I want you to know what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. The surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now what is it He's anchoring it in? He's anchoring it in the cross. What you and I need to know is that the cross is God's solution. It's a better word than anything this world has to offer. It works mysteriously. I don't know that I can explain all of how the power of the cross energizes and drives believers forward, but that's what Paul is writing. The surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. And God's power carries us through. As the storm rages, and we're threatened to crash against the rocks, what God says is, I will get you into safe passage. I don't always know what that's going to look like. I don't always know how He's going to do it. But I know that there's this power at work in God's people. Now here's how He has begun to unveil some of this. We are not only declared righteous, that's justification, but His Spirit comes in us and we are made alive. It's called regeneration. The Spirit of God is working and transforming us. I get excited too, little one. (laughs) God's Spirit 
changes the affections of our heart so that we're loving the right things and allowing God to do these things. What amazing thing. So as it mysteriously works, this power, it's not just an abstract, abstract truth, it's a truth that changes our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. And God's power is available. Now let me just say, we need each other. Too many believers are trying to do this on their own. That's why we gather. That's why we get into small groups. That's why it's essential that we meet on Sunday morning. We need to be reminded. We need to be encouraged. We need to pray for each other and persevere. Now, let me be clear too, as a pastor, if your health is such that you cannot gather, don't gather. God understands. But if you're able to gather you need to know God, His plan through Jesus Christ is to gather His people because we need to encourage each other. We need to persevere together. He has spoken a better word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth of Your word. Thank You that it's bedrock, foundational truth that changes the way we think about this world and that it is a supernatural power that is at work in us. I pray, God, for each person here that they would experience more of the power of the Spirit. They would feel more freedom, more deliverance, more energy, more boldness towards the things, the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.